thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Back Chat, exploring the five pillars of health, thinking, moving, eating, sleeping, and also your neurology with Dr. Paul Bogamo. Welcome to Back Chat. My name is Paul Bogamo, and it's great to be here in our next podcast. Back Chat's about being your best. It does this by exploring the five pillars of health. It refers to being your best in thinking, moving, eating, sleeping, and also in your neurology. Today's back chat will cover the pillar of moving. And again, my special guest, as was the case in the last podcast, is Dr. Luke Nelson. Now, Luke has been in private practice at Chiropractic Solutions in Bentley East since graduating from RMIT in 2003. His postgraduate qualifications in sports chiropractic include an international certified chiropractic sports diploma, a postgraduate diploma in sports chiropractic, and a master's in sports science. Lucas has involvement in a number of organisations, including Finance Chair of FIX, Education Chair of Sports Chiropractic Australia, and Board Member of the Victorian State Branch of Sports Medicine Australia. Luke treats elite athletes from a variety of sports, including athletics, cricket, AFL, mixed martial arts, triathlon, water polo, tennis, and golf. Luke was recently awarded the 2016 Sports Chiropractic Australia Outstanding Service Award. An avid runner himself, Luke has completed multiple marathons, Ironman triathlons, and ultramarathons. Luke is coordinator of Enhanced Running, whose purpose is to help people enjoy running and avoid injury through treating and teaching running techniques. Hey, Luke, how are you going? Very good, thanks, Paul. Uh, yeah, it's been a, uh, it was a strange a couple of weeks ago out on my run and uh, and out comes my voice on the on the podcast. <laughs> that was uh, a bit unusual. I've never, never had that happen before. So, and especially on, uh, as I said said last time, on uh, listening on, on two times speed as well. So it was even even more uh, unusual to hear my voice at, at two times speed. So. Well, that's a sort of, is that a deja vu times two? I don't know how that works. In yeah, that's exactly right. I thought I'd been there before, but. Uh, um, yes, I yeah. Look, hopefully our listeners got something out of out of our last one. I know I've had a few questions since uh, since the last time, and, and so hopefully we'll, we'll go through and, and cover some of those and and, uh, and some more more stuff today. Excellent. Look, we we were sort of going to try and get through towards the the prevention and rehab part of the the, the podcast, but we were getting some length on it, so we've sort of uh, closed the last podcast and we're opening our new one tonight. So, uh, oh, what sort of feedback did you get, Luke? By the way, I mean, what sort of questions were people asking? Was it more practitioner based or was it more yeah, patient based? There's a few on that. There's a few on a few on that. A few on uh, on, on technique. Um, a couple on different uh, different injuries as well. So we're going to cover a couple of the main injuries uh, hopefully today. Um, and um, and a little bit more about the about the technique with that too. So yeah, and, and prevention prevention of injury too. Fantastic. We'll address those shortly. So perhaps when we when we talk about warming up before a run, some say stretching, some say a light jog. What's uh, Luke Nelson's recommendation? Yeah, so this is this is something I actually did uh, just did a, a bit of a blog post for our uh, for our clinic on just uh, just this month, and um, so it's it's interesting you, you raise that that question. Um, so, firstly, we've got to well, understand what a, what the purpose of a warm up is. So, a warm up is to increase blood flow um, to the muscles so that we can get delivered oxygen and, uh, and the nutrients, and, and prepares the body for uh, for a rise in, in workload. 
Um, but it's, it's worth noting that a, a warm-up is not the same thing as stretching. So you, you can actually do have a warm-up without, uh, without even containing stretching. Um, so the, the current weight of evidence um, favours a warm-up in, in decreasing injury, and that was uh, the most recent with Franken in, in 2006. Um, but what about stretching? So unlike, unlike a, a warm-up, um, stretching actually has got, and, and contrary to what a lot of people may think, um, there's actually limited research to date that suggests that stretching can actually prevent injuries. So unlike a warm-up, warm-up, yes. Stretching, actually, no, maybe not. Um, so when people say, you know, should I stretch, uh, the first question I, I ask is, well, why, should, why do you want to stretch? Um, so the main purpose of, of stretching is to improve flexibility. Uh, now, some people possess incredible flexibility, uh, and therefore, why do you really need to be doing that? Um, now, if we go back to our, our last podcast, and we, we spoke about um, uh, some of those mobility tests in through the, mm. through the hip, the calf, and, and, yep. and the toe, um, and so if people were lacking in those, well, yeah, stretching stretching can be uh, can be great to uh, to improve that that range of movement. Um, so if you if you are lacking, um, then yes, it's something that uh, that, that can be done um, to improve the flexibility. Um, but if you've got if you've got good good flexibility, then then no, move on. Um, so there's a couple of different types of stretching too. We should also distinguish. So there's there's the, the two main types, and there's lots of different different uh, various types of stretching. But the two main types are, are static and, and dynamic stretching. Now, static stretching is is usually the one that you see, you know, someone bending over to touch their toes and, and holding that position there. So that's static; they're not moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then dynamic dynamic stretching is is where the, it's 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 having more movement into the stretch. So they're sort of uh, if we imagine someone stretching the back of their legs and the hamstring, it's more sort of swing the legs and, and kicking up than it is just simply holding a holding a position. Um, now in their recent study, uh, Zakaria found that that adding static stretching to dynamic stretching offered no additional benefit from, from injury prevention um, versus dynamic stretching alone. So dynamic stretching alone was shown to to uh, to help with um, with injury reduction, but the addition of static didn't do much there. Um, and in fact, there's some research to show that static stretching can actually uh, decrease power um, production immediately afterwards. Um, uh, although this can be mitigated by doing a dynamic stretch afterwards. So, and that was uh, there's a couple couple of uh, studies there by Simic and, and then another one by Walsh. Um, so therefore, it's, it's uh, my suggestion to, to people is to perform more dynamic movements. And if you do need to improve your your flexibility, so if we um, you know going back to those tests, do those that you can do those static stretches, but then follow it up with uh, with something dynamic afterwards. Um, the the other question that people will often ask is you know how how long should I stretch for? Um, and the the, the the total time, it's, it's more about the total time actually. So the with your static stretching, um, you shouldn't really need to hold that for any longer than 30 or 60 seconds. Now, that, that can actually be broken down into, into chunks. So if you wanted to do 30 seconds, you could actually do six by five second stretches. So it's actually the total time. So you don't need to just be standing there and holding that position for, for that duration. You can actually move in and out of it. Um, so that, that can be can be broken down. Um, another alternative is what, what other alternatives are there to, to static stretching to improve flexibility? Um, foam rolling is actually is a is a quite a, an effective way to um, to prove, improve flexibility and mobility. Um, and in uh, in their study, um, McDonald's study in 2013, they found that it was able to to get the improvement in flexibility uh, without the detrimental effects on power production. So that's for um, that, that, that static stretching has. 
Um, the other way that, uh, that you can improve flexibility is actually through resistance training. So um, resistance training, and uh, especially focusing on eccentric component of, of, of uh, lifting, so the lengthening part of the lift, um, can actually help um, help improve flexibility. So that was um, in Morton's 2011 study, they showed that there. Um, so if we were to take take our runner and, and you know, what, what would a suggested, suggested warm-up be? Well, it, it does depend on the purpose of the run. So if, if you've got, um, say if we're doing a, an easy run, okay, which is just a, a run where you're just running at a conversation pace for a, for a period of time, it's a sub-maximal effort, you can actually just start that off. If, if you've got good mobility there, you can actually just start that off easy um, mm-hmm. and uh, without very little little movement there at all. Um, and if, if you do, if you are lacking some some mobility, well, then you can you can do a little bit of a, a couple of a jog for a couple of minutes uh, and then follow that up. Then you can have a bit of a break and do a couple of uh, um, a couple of static stretches, a couple of dynamic stretches if you want. Uh, my preference is usually just to go straight to dynamic, um, and uh, and then you can carry on your run. If you're doing more sort of your, your speed sessions, your track sessions, which are really you know your high efforts and, and your high speeds, that's when when a, when a, a warm up does become more important, and that's when you my typical recommendation for that is to um, elevate your body temperature with with a bit of a light jog. So you can do you know anywhere from from five to ten minutes, a bit of a jog around. Yep. Then have a bit of a, bit of a rest there, and uh, and then you can move into your your static and dynamic stretching, uh, and then you can go on to doing some some technique based stuff. So uh, uh, there's a, a, a common drills called an A skip and a B skip, um, and uh, and they're a great one to to help uh, get you get your body and prepare your body for run for then that that interval session that speed session afterwards. Okay, um, fantastic. No, so so and all the research says about actually doing a. So elevation of body temperature warm up first before doing the stretching. Right, we don't do the stretching and then start to warm up. Do we? is there any any thoughts on that yeah, one? That's, the order that's, that's that's my recommendation too. Is that you? Yeah, you, you don't uh, you don't go into that uh, that stretching cold if you like. Um, yeah. you know, you get elevate that body temperature, and that that will will naturally actually give you some flexibility anyway. It gets yeah. those uh, gets the blood going to those those muscles there, and and then yeah, allows you to be a bit more bit more supple if you like. Fantastic. Now, on the flip side, what about warming down recommendations, Luke? Yes, so the, um, the the warm down or the warm down or the cool down, um, should we want to say, that's the same thing, um, can be a, an important um, um, uh, part of this session to, to prepare you for your, your next session. So and help with uh, help with recovery. Um, so in the the that cool down session, uh, doing a lot of static stretching in that actually doesn't. Um, help reduce DOMS, so that's that that ache that you get after a workout. You know the one that you get usually that day or two days after where you're, where you're hobbling around. Um, so static stretching shouldn't be a huge component of that, um, but it but it can be complemented with other with other activities as well. Um, and that was a poorly study in, in 2000, just actually this year 2017. Um, so an example of a cool down session might be uh, after you've, after you finished your say after you finished your, your speed session, uh, you do a bit of a a light run towards the end in there, so a bit of a light jog, just a, just at a, a conversation pace, uh, and then you can do some some work on your, your dynamic stretches, your, your foam rollers um, for about five or ten minutes, and, and the focus of, of the the warm down is actually just to help you sort of relax a bit as well too, because that's um, that can help uh, help help with recovery. Fantastic. Now, in regards injury prevention, so. You know, we might follow some great advice, but often injuries can occur either if we follow the right advice or perhaps we may not have listened to the previous podcast and, and get an injury. So what's what's the course of action when there's an injury, a sports injury, I suppose, in, in this context? What should we do? 
Yeah. So, um, firstly, um, you know, if, you, if you haven't listened to everything we spoke about in the uh, in the podcast before, <laughs> you've done too much too soon, which is which is often the case with runners. Um, <laughs> don't panic. Um, it, injuries in, in running are very common. Um, so the, the the generally accepted figure for for um, injuries is about fifty percent, um, and uh, and that twenty five percent of runners will be injured at any one time. So um, most of the, the vast majority of the injuries we see in running are below the are below the uh, the hip, and uh, and in fact actually below the knee. So seventy five percent are below the knee. So we've got the knee, ankle, and and foot issues down there. Um, so the first thing is that you you, you shouldn't stop. It, it, there's very few injuries that you that require you completely stopping running. Um, the, the exceptions to those would be your stress fractures, so stress fractures of, of the uh, of the leg uh, and the, the pelvis and low back, uh, and then also a re- the really angry tendinopathies. So so sometimes they can be um, yeah they're, they're the only ones that you you want to stop completely, but otherwise um, you know is is the pain. Only after a certain distance is it only with a certain speed? Is it only over certain terrain? Um, and and if that is painful, well, what about what's running like? What's walking like? What's swimming like? So it's, it's important that you you keep doing keep doing something. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for for that. Um, the first reason that you don't want to just stop everything is that there's a detraining effect. So you certainly lose fitness for every, for as, as long as you're off. Um, and it also takes you longer on the on the other side of that break. It also takes you longer to, to build up where you left off. Um, and uh, and the second second part of that is the, the psychological impact that, that stopping everything, stopping all your exercise can have. Um, from that detraining effect, we know there was a, um, a, a an Australian Institute of Sport white paper by uh, by Mick Drew uh, in 2015, and uh, had a nice got a nice little grid on that. And we can put this in the show notes as well. But um, it involves um, uh, the uh, in our last podcast we spoke about that acute chronic workload ratio. But basically, if you have huge chunks of time. Off, it's going to take you a long time to safely build up to, to the levels that you that you were at. Um, so if you have complete, if you have two weeks of completely nothing, uh, completely no running at all, and no exercise even, so no swimming, no bike riding, it's going to take you about four and a half weeks to get back to to, to where you left off. So that's from the moment you you stop, it's going to take you four and a half weeks to, to get back to where you were. So that's that's a considerable amount of time. So so it's important to to do something. Um, the second part of, of why you shouldn't stop. Is um, is the, the psychosocial reasons now? Um, for some reason, for some some runners, um, running is is their identity. Um, and uh, there's been a number of studies that have looked into that. The most recent by uh, McAuliffe in, in this year. Um, but uh, you know, if, if people don't have running, they often feel yeah, feel a bit lost. Um, you know, they've, uh, they've often become a part of a, a running group, and so you know, a lot of their mates are, are runners. Uh, you know, the social media feeds are full of uh, full of runners as well, and, and so for them not to be doing anything um, can be can be really detrimental, and again, it can bring them into a bit of a bit of a hole where they get uh, quite upset and then you know catastrophize. And, and um, so it's it's important to be doing something. Keep your keep your um, your body active. Keep your mind active. Um, and also for, for a lot of runners that you know that's um, running for them is an important stress relief. It's an, an important outlet. Um, I know my, I know myself. If there's there's a period of time that I haven't been able to get uh, get out for a run, I, I get a bit uh, cagey and a bit cranky and. and my <laughs> Michael often tell me to uh, to get out the door and, and uh, get out for a run. So um, I know myself what that's what that's like. So yeah, if it's so those two factors is important to uh, 
to, to keep uh, keep doing something. Fantastic, Drew. Now, look, the podcast is terrific to give general advice, Luke, as we know. But if there's a specific injury that a that a person who's listening to back chat comes across, what sort of things would they look at with the health health practitioner with a running injury? What sort of uh, uh, components would they look for? Do you think? Yeah. So, so firstly, it's um it's important to to look at well, so the, the, your, your practitioner needs to look at how you run. Um, so we spoke about the importance of, of running technique last time. You know that running running is a skill, um, and uh, and and how you run can actually contribute to your your injury. Um, so you need to get someone that that's either got uh, ideally got a, got something on site, either a treadmill or got some space out uh, out the back of the side of the clinic there where they can they can watch you run. Otherwise, if they if they don't have that then they can actually just get some get you to record some videos and actually actually look at that so firstly is to get um get them to, to have a look and, and see uh what you're running there um it's it's i mean it's it, it's an advantage to have a, a therapist who, who runs themselves um to have an understanding but that's not that's not vital um they uh so long as they've got a good understanding of, of, of uh, the mechanics and demands of, of running that um that that can be suitable too um, uh, the next one is is someone that doesn't tell you just to stop. Um, so I couldn't tell you how many patients I've seen that have that seen other practitioners that have just said to them, "Well, you know, oh yeah, you're injured. Well, just stop running." Um, now, if we go back to what we said before, you know, that's uh, that's that's one of the worst things you can do. Um, so you don't want to just give someone that's just telling you to stop unless you know unless it's one of those injuries that, that I spoke about before with the stress fractures mm-hmm. or an acute tendon yeah. injury. So, yeah. um, but um, the next one is you, you want to find someone that's uh, that's going to give you some some exercise, some rehab exercise as well, and and ones that you'll actually you will actually perform. Um, so not just that you'll be giving them and, and not perform them, but um, uh, these exercises are given to you for a reason, and they certainly do the, the combination of, of uh, hands-on therapy. And, and, uh, and exercise therapy can be uh, can be very effective combination for, for uh, a lot, if not all, um, running injuries. Um, and and lastly, the last one to, to look at is is also someone that takes a, a holistic approach to to you as a person as well. Um, uh, yeah, we find a running injury is uh, is multifactorial. So there's a lot of things that, that contribute to a running injury. So you know you've got things like your structure, your mechanics, your training loads. We've spoken about before. You've got your physiology, and you've got uh, you know psychosocial issues there as well too so um you know pretty much a lot of the stuff that you guys cover through your, your five pillars actually Paul, with your uh, with the back chat five pillars so yep. you know, some good advice to go through there so it's, it's someone that sort of takes it takes all those things into consideration as well fantastic but look let's have sympathy for the person who's the novice runner they've listened to your podcast from the previous show they've taken they've gone from walking to jogging to running and they get their injury but then they've got this smorgasbord of choices of who to see. You know, we've got your sports doctor, you've got your GP, your sports chiro, your sports physio, massage therapist, myotherapist, you know, their neighbours, an acupuncturist. Who do they see? Where do they start? I mean, it's, it's a bit of a dilemma. Yep. It is. It is. It's. Uh, and I get asked this question quite a lot, actually. Is that you know what's the difference between this, this, and this? And and basically, you know, who do people see? Well, really, anyone that ticks the, the boxes of, of the things that we spoke about before. So um, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with with approaching you know any prospective therapist um, and and asking them those those things that we we just discussed. So you know, asking them, you know, do they do they have a look at them running? Um, you know, do they run themselves? Um, all, all those sort of 
of things. So they, they can do a bit of groundwork and and, uh, and find that out if that's, that stuff's not available through the uh, the therapist's website. But but basically, um, you know, it's 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 not the shouldn't be go you shouldn't go off the letters before or someone or after someone's name. So you know, their, their title's not, not not as important. So long as they've they've got the the required knowledge to uh, to diagnose and and uh, and manage running injuries. So whether that be a, a sports chiro, whether that's a physio, whether that's an osteo, a, a massage therapist, a myotherapist, um, it, it, it's uh, anyone that that, um, that has got the, the qualities we discussed before is is, uh, is well suitable. Um, the the only probably caveat there is that the running gait analysis isn't isn't taught that well through the you know, or if, if, if at all, through most of the undergraduate programs. So you ideally want to find someone that has done some, some postgraduate training in, in that. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's what we want to be looking for. So what about the GP in this sort of role? Because, I mean, a GP's got a, a really broad knowledge base of a lot of things in many areas, but I'm not sure where their sort of running technique type expertise is. So yeah, where does their role just, sit in that in this situation? For running specifically, I suppose I'm referring yeah, to. Yeah. Definitely. Um it, it just depends on um it just really does depend on the practitioner. I mean there's not there's not too many GPs that I know that do a lot with um with, with running technique and, and actually having assessment of the runners. Um I will bring GPs and sports doctors in um to uh, to, to co-manage patients if they've got other things, for instance, if they've got stress fractures or if I think that there's mm. some, some other issues at, at, at play there, um, I will certainly bring uh, in, involve them in. But um, but typically, yeah, typically that your, your GPs haven't had that training, um, but there, there may be some out there that, that I don't know. And, and if they are, well, fantastic, go and uh, go along and see them too. Okay. Now, it's probably is this one of the oldest sort of adages here with uh, sports science between heat or ice? Which one to use? I mean. This sort of flips. It's a bit like uh, different sort of uh, theories on different sort of things. I mean, what's the latest on this one? And, 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 are, we, and are we concrete on this now? Can we settle on something, or is it going to change? No, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think we ever settle on anything. Actually, I yeah, fair yeah, enough. The fair research enough. will always always yep. come up with something every now and then, so yep. we flip things on its on its head. But um, look, I, I think we can we can confidently confidently say that that. That ice is is more for acute injuries, um, and and heat is more for your your aching sort of muscles yep. and and more your, your your chronic stuff. So so any injury where you know you, you've come in coming off a run and oh geez my knee is really sore, uh, I'd, I'd I'd suggest ice with that. Certainly you know with, with your typical you know rolling your ankle ankle sprain that that sort of thing, or you've had a fall and and uh, you've hurt your wrist. Well, that's that's where we, we apply the uh, the ice there. Um, but um, yeah, I, I tend to recommend for ice for acute injuries and, and heat for, for more of the persistent ones. Um, ice is good for um, to as a bit of an analgesic, so as a bit of a bit of a pain reliever, um, and it also can help minimise inflammation. Um, but uh, you know, we were talking about just then um, with uh, what the what the consensus was. But I mean, there's some that argue that. That uh, that ice can actually interfere with the inflammation processes and therefore possibly delay healing. So, but there's no concrete evidence on that just yet. But yeah, be, be aware that we may we may be in years time saying no, let's not let's not ice things and and that the compression may be may be more the important uh, important thing to do after uh, after injury. Um, but look, in the end, it, it actually it comes down to what's what's comfortable. Um, you know, if if you put on ice on something and and uh, it, 
it really doesn't feel good and you know you put heat on something and it, and it feels better well chances are that it's, it's going to be you know that that's that's going to be the way to go um but uh, the only caveat is i would advise against putting heat on something that you've just you've just you know there's been some trauma to the area so because that will tend to increase the inflammatory response and, and you won't be happy it's, it's a bit tricky isn't it? because we've got guidelines and we need guidelines to make our decision-making processes. And then, of course, uh, our famous patients don't read textbooks and don't read guidelines and uh, they can have, like you mentioned earlier, psychosocial experiences that change their thinking on certain things and, um, yeah. you know, et cetera, et cetera, which then influence them to say, come back to you to say, you know what, I've, I've got an acute injury, I did the ice, and gee whiz, Luke, it's, 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 it's actually feels like I've really – step back a little bit with it. So in those sort of situations, do you do you sort of let the natural history run a bit more coarse then go to heat or do you sort of just, um, you know, you can, head, you head? can get them. Yeah, you can get them to get them to try it straight away. So, like what I said, it's it's really what uh, what feels comfortable for the uh, for the patient. I mean, I don't tend to, you know, heat therapy and ice therapy is not a big part of, of what I do. It's it's more just okay. Does it give you a bit of relief? Yeah, no, it does. It does, it does great. You know, do it for a bit. If it doesn't, look, let's forget about it. There's going to be other other you know bigger fish that we can we can go after there. So yep. it, it's never really a huge part of of you know, most of the management of the the injuries that I see. So, but yeah. Comfort is, is probably the, the big thing to take away there. Okay, Do what feels good. Fantastic. Now, regards recovery. I mean, it's a big, important sort of term in regards sports rehabilitation. And uh, you know, if we look at elite athletes in different different sports, their recovery is just as much important as regards their planning for the event. Really, in many ways, isn't it? Really. So, what's your what's your take on yeah. recovery? Absolutely. It, it's, um, I mean, you, you're, the benefits that you get from training, so essentially during training you, you're breaking your body down and the benefits that you get from that are, are, are going through your recovery. That's when your body your body rebuilds. So if you're not getting adequate recovery, essentially you're, you're just breaking your, your, your body down and that's that's where we see what happens when, when people do, you know, back-to-back runs and, you know, they've just uh, they've decided that they're going to get into running for, for the first time in 10 years and they decide to run five days in a row and uh, there's just there's not enough uh, recovery in between there and and, uh, and injury ensues. Um, so some of the, the, the important um, factors for, for recovery, um, first of all, we've got, our, got sleep. Um, so a lot of people will be, will be happy to hear, but sleep is a sleep is, is really paramount for um, for recovery and, and uh, pretty much on all my new patients, regardless of, of what injury they're coming in with, I'll ask them what, what their sleep is like. Um, so we often... You know, experienced ourselves when we when we had a bad night's sleep, um, we wake up quite sore and, and achy. Um, so they found that there was a, a 2014. There's been a few studies actually that have looked at uh, looked at, at sleep and uh, and injury risk in in athletes. Um, so there was a, a 2014 one by Belusky um, that, uh, that that found that athletes who slept for less than eight hours, so less than eight hours a night, have a 1.7 greater greater times of uh, greater risk of uh, of injury than those who slept more than eight hours. So under eight hours, not good. Um, there's another study uh, last year in Rosen, um, and they were they were looking at adolescent uh, elite athletes, and adolescents are pretty uh, quite commonly pretty crappy sleep. Um, but um, but they found that, that sleeping more than eight hours a, a week, um, uh, more than eight hours a night, uh, reduced their injury risk by 61%. So so eight hours is is is, uh, is pretty much the uh, the mark there. Um, and a number of things that we can do to to ensure that we get some uh, get some good sleep is 
is is to uh, you know we cut out our screen time an hour before bed, and that's a pretty uh, adolescents are pretty bad at that. Um, <laughs> keeping the phone away from the bed and just having a cool dark room, and and, and sometimes just getting to bed sooner. So some people would just stay up too late watching TV and then uh, realise oh no it's one o'clock and I've got to get up at uh, at six. So um, so sleep's the, the the first one, first part of recovery. Um, the next one is, is hydration and, and nutrition. So after your training session, you know, making sure that you're you're replacing um, your your, uh, your the calories that you just expended, um, your uh, your protein um, and your, your hydration as well too. Um, yeah, omega threes and, and vitamin Ds have, have been shown to be uh, important in um, in athletes amongst a, a whole heap of other nutrients. Um, and uh, in fact, actually that same study before that looked at those elite athletes since the uh, Van Rosen study, um, they also found that those elite a- a- adolescents that um, met the nutritional requirements had a 64% reduced injury risk. So those athletes that slept better, that ate better, um, had uh, had a significantly lower risk of uh, getting injured. Um, and then we've also got our, got our stress relief too. So we spoke about before those psychosocial factors and, and um, psychological stress delays healing. So there was a, um, a, it was a meta-analysis by Alford in 2006, uh, and they found that, that um, periods of stress or, or lack of sleep um, delay healing by up to 60%. Um, and... Uh, and there's also a number, number of uh, there's a move to in a lot of well pretty much most uh, elite sporting clubs these days is that they'll they'll get uh, their athletes to uh, to do what's called subjective scores. So they'll, they'll, every morning our athletes are asked things like you know how was your sleep last night? How do you feel? Are you sore? Um, and uh, and these have been shown to to uh, increase if, if they they've had poor sleep, they're feeling sore, they've. They're uh, you know, not motivated to train. Um, they've been shown to, to increase the risk of injury as well. So um, there's various tools to, to help with stress relief. Some of which I'm, I'm sure you, you know you covered on your on some of your podcasts, Paul. But but um, you know meditation, mindfulness, those, those sort of things um, can uh, certainly help. Uh, and then there's other other forms of recovery as well too. So your ice baths. You know you see your, your footy players down there on the on a Sunday morning uh, you know, down in the bay in, in Melbourne, which is uh, which isn't off. Um, and, uh, but otherwise, you, you often see on the on the telly the, uh, the athletes jumping in those uh, the big baths full of uh, full of ice. Um, uh, there's been some speculation to, to, that that, uh, that using ice bar, ice baths can um, blunten the uh, effect of training, um, but that hasn't been that's, that's not concrete just yet. So I, I still think that um, for ice baths, if you feel it works for you, then do it. Um, mm-hmm. If you feel like it's not really doing much, well then and don't worry. About that um, other other forms of, of, of uh, recovery as well. We've got the foam roller. Um, we mentioned that before in the in the flexibility section. Um, we've got some cross training as well. So you know after. After a hard session, you can get on, you know, get on the bike or get in the pool. Um, that's what runners are often quite bad at. They just run and, and that's it. Um, but um, but having that, um, yeah, that that just the, the uh, a nice easy session in the pool can can do a lot for uh, for your, your your running recovery. Um, and uh, and the other the other one that, that people often ask me about is uh, compression garments as well. You know, should I wear wear those compression tights? Um, and the jury is out on this. And and at, at 
this stage is looking like it doesn't have have a, a much effect, but there's the occasional study that pops up showing that there there is. So, same again, you know, I tell I tell people if, if it's um if they feel it works for them, then do it. But it's not something I, I go and tell everyone to to go out and buy a pair of a uh, pair of running tights. Mm, no, fair enough. And you mentioned about the omega threes. I'm interested about that. Is it was that an anti-inflammatory effect? Do you know what the mechanism was? Um, Actually, not not too sure what the, okay. the effect on on that was, but you, you, you probably you probably assume so. Yeah, mm. yeah, I, mm. I would assume so. Yeah, yeah no, interesting. Now, at our gym, we've got we've sort of got two sections, Luke. We've got the the, <laughs> the grunters in the weight room, and we've got the sort of lean machines on the treadmill. So, is there any role for strength training with uh, with runners, or is that just meant to be for the yeah, weights, so- mate? Well, and, and in the middle, they, they never shall meet, hey? That's right, pretty it, much. It is, it is often the case. You get uh, you get your two sides there, and the cardio, they they, uh, they, they won't touch a weight, and the, uh, the weight people won't uh, won't go near the cardio. But um, that, that is a, a, often a, a, an issue that I do see in runners is that um, that they they very rarely will strength train, and uh, strength Training is really important for uh, for runners. Um, it, it, it two in two in two main ways is one it helps with, with injury prevention, um, and two it actually helps with performance enhancement. So it actually helps make you run faster. Um, and uh, a, a recent um, meta analysis this year actually by Berryman actually supported our strength training as uh, as for performance enhancing. So they looked at all the, all the literature there and found that it had a a very positive effect on it. Um, so some of the exercises that uh, that you can include. So some of my favourite exercises, uh, strengthening exercises that I'll give to, to runners um, includes your, your deadlifts and your rack pulls, um, your different squat variants. So um, including uh, one of my favourite is the, the rear leg elevated split squat, Bulgarian split squat. Um, so that's, that's great because it's a single leg exercise. Um, going back to the deadlifts too, also like a single leg, single leg deadlift. Um, we've got our box squat as well too. Then we've got exercises like our hip thrusters um, and our kettlebell swings, and that's for more uh, horizontal force development, so that helps you move move forwards uh, better. Uh, then we've got our, our lunges and calf raises, and then you've got your, you know, getting a bit more technical in your Olympic lifts like your power cleans, and that's for uh, for power development. So, um, so probably some of the, the, the tips that I would give um, runners on uh, on strength training is you don't need to perform weighted running. Okay, so so weight training for runners is not just simply putting a you know some some ankle weights on or carrying a few couple of kilo dumbbells and, and going for a bit of a jog. And believe you me, I've, I've seen that. Um, and uh, fortunately, this isn't, this isn't common. But so uh, keep your running and your and your weights separate. Okay, they don't need to. They don't. Your, your weights do not need to resemble your, your running. Um, don't you don't need to even do the higher reps. Okay, we actually want to go go down, get down low, below below ten reps for for, for these exercises. And and don't be afraid to uh, to go heavy. Um, ideally, we want to train. You know, we want to be doing two two weight sessions a week. And if you've got a if you've got a pre season and, and, and during the season with your running, um, we want to be trying to train uh, twice, do two sessions of weights in the pre season, uh, and then uh, then one you can drop down to one during the yeah, during the racing season. There, um, we want to separate separate your the weights and the running by about eight hours. Okay, so if you've done done a weight session, then you want to try and leave eight hours to to uh, to do a run. So you you could potentially do a uh, weight session in the morning and then and then around the afternoon 
Um, and don't do a, a heavy session, a heavy weight session um, before your harder runs. Um, you really do need fresh legs for this. And, and I've, I've made the mistake with, with going too heavy and, and getting a bit carried away one day and, and my legs were absolutely trashed for two days and I could I could hardly run. So um, my coach wasn't too happy with me for that, but lesson, lesson learned there. Um, but um, one of the uh, one of the, the, the excuses that I that I often hear from from runners for not doing weights is that uh, that oh, running running will bog me up. You know, I'll get I'll get too big and, and uh, too heavy. Um, but um, there was actually a really good study at uh, the start of this year, which was, was fantastic because now I got some some fuel for uh, for that fire. And um, it, it showed that they took a group of runners and, and did um, uh, forty weeks of, of strength training. And uh, what they found was that they found that they improved a whole heap of things, including including strength and VO2 max and running economy. Um, but what they also showed was that they didn't have the hypertrophy. So that these 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 guys, and there was a control group here as well, um, but um, they found that they were able to improve their running, and they didn't get bigger. Um, so which is uh, which is great news for, uh, for, for for distance runners in particular. Fantastic. Now, if we just turn our attention as, uh, to the podcast to conditions. So, in podcast fourteen with Tony Maserati, podiatrist, we talked about heel pain. With Mr. Sasha Rashan, foot surgeon, he talked also about heel pain. So, with heel pain, Achilles tendinopathies or rear foot pain, plantar fasciopathy. What's a sports chiropractor's take on it? If uh, we looked at it, yeah. So, um, well, if we firstly start with um, with Achilles tendinopathy, so um, pretty typical sort of sign and symptoms for that. Uh, get that pain in the, in the back of your heel there, sort of down towards the, 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 uh, the very lower calf. Um, and pretty typically worse in the, in the morning. So uh, a lot of these uh, these Achilles sufferers will, will wake up hobbling in the, in the morning with the first first few steps. It takes a few minutes to, uh, to warm up. Um, during the run, during the runs, it, it can warm up a bit, um, but only then to get uh, to get more sore afterwards. And sometimes it can stop them actually from, from running at all. Um, so the first thing that, that that our listeners should be aware of it that these the tendon injuries can can take some so these tendinopathies can take some time you know they can sometimes take up to nine to twelve months to to, to get right um, but the good news is that you you are running in that time so it's not nine to twelve months off running and and what I tell um, uh, these patients with uh, with this uh, the Achilles and and injuries is that uh, that they want to try and keep their pain levels below a four out of ten so what they want to do is they want to see that first of all during the run it doesn't get a blow it doesn't get above a four out of ten and then afterwards that afternoon that evening and then the following day so we just don't want to see a flare-up now if, if you can run and, and do everything that you need to be doing and the pain stays below a four out of ten fantastic and we don't need to we don't need to stop you running but there are things to be to be worked on in the, in the meantime um Stretching doesn't tend to work. So we spoke about stretching before. Stretching doesn't tend to work too well for, for tendons. In fact, it actually can make them quite uh, quite cranky. So I don't um, I don't tend to give a lot of a whole heap of stretching for, for those with it, with Achilles issues. Um, we can do other means if we need to improve mobility. We can use the, the foam roller there. That doesn't tend to be as as, as um, irritable on the tendon there. Um, but also we we. we uh, you, those with the Achilles issues shouldn't have a reliance just on, on passive therapy. So whether that be massage or, or needling or um, they, they, these things can actually form an important part 
but we really need to get the, uh, the, the loading right and also the strengthening there. Um, so what we want to see is we, we want to improve the, the, the uh, capacity of the tendon to, uh, to, to load. Um, and in the initial stages with, with an Achilles, when they're really angry and, you know, people can hardly do much at all, you know, we may need to have a bit of rest. And that's what I was saying earlier on, that the, the, the conditions where we, we may have to rest sometimes are the really acute tendinopathies and, and the stress fractures. Um, but we may have to have a little bit of a rest initially. And one of the, uh, the, the great tools, which has uh, there's been some, some research uh, looking at this, and Ebony Rio did some work with uh, the tendons, and, and that's been then extrapolated to, to the others around the body, um, is the use of, uh, of isometrics. And basically what isometrics are, they're just a sustained contraction. So for, for the for example of the, the Achilles, the way that we do an isometric contraction here, we've got a couple of alternatives. One is the easiest one is actually on a, on a seated calf raise machine. So if you can get, to, you get down to your gym, get on the seated calf raise machine, build up a bit of weight on there, and then what you do is you raise up uh, raise up about halfway, um, and uh, and then you're just holding that there, okay? And you're holding it there for, for 45 seconds, so it's, it's quite a long hold, and you really need to go heavy on this. So you don't want to get to the end of the 45 thinking, oh, I could do another two minutes. It needs to be hard. We don't want to see shaking, okay? Shaking's too hard, but we just want to see a constant tension through that uh, through that, that tendon there and, uh, and holding it for 45 seconds. Then we have a bit of a rest for... for for a minute or two, and then we're going to repeat that five times. Now, the other alternative way to do that, if you don't have a calf raise machine and you don't have access to that there, is to actually do, we can do a standing calf raise. So that's where you're just standing on a step. Same again, you're just raising raising up halfway and just holding that, that position there. And to, to weight that up at home, you can get a backpack, you can pop some you know books and stuff in a backpack, you can hold some weights. Um, and, yeah. and just loading that up, uh, loading that up there. So, so sometimes with with those in, in a really really angry stage, I'll, I'll get um, get patients doing that, so doing that daily. Um, and then once once we're out of that um, that really angry stage where the, the, you know can hardly run, then we want to move more on to uh, onto some heavy slow loading. Um, and, and this can be done actually the same either with the seated calf raise machine or, or with the standing um, standing calf. Phrase. My preference for for, uh, for the heavy loading is is um, is to go with a set of calf raise, and that's because it it it, uh, it actually works more the lower calf muscle. So in, in a, we've got two two calf muscles. We've got the upper one, which is your gastrocnemius, and we've got the lower one, which is your soleus. And uh, the soleus has actually been shown to have a, a a greater involvement with the with the Achilles tendon. So being in that that seated calf raise with your with your knee bent um, is uh, is better for, for targeting that muscle. So um, we want to pick a heavy weight for, for this, and uh, and we want to do eight reps, eight reps of, of, and it's really slow, so it's heavy and slow. So what you're going to do is you're going to raise up for three seconds. So you're going up one, two, three. Pause at the top for one second, and then you're going to lower one, two, three. So and uh, and and repeating that. So we're going to do about eight eight reps of that there. So we've gone from our isometrics to more that heavy, slow loading. That that'll get people doing every every second day. So uh, we don't want to do that every day because it is uh, it can be quite taxing on the on the the, the body there, um, and can be done you know in conjunction whilst they're running too. Once once they're on those those heavy heavy uh, slow loading calf raises uh, the um, calf raises there, um, they, they should be able to be doing some running by then. Um, and and then once you once you've got things under control there, then I'll then I'll get to start to uh, to phase in some some plyometric um, uh, programs and that that's uh, involving some hopping and jumping those those sort of things so uh, um, 
but um, we've also got our, our running technique considerations there as well. So, you know, we've, we've um, as we spoke about in, in podcast one, so some of the things that we want to look for with running technique and, and Achilles issues is that we, we want to make sure that that, um, uh, that we're not making a change to, to running onto onto the forefoot there. So sometimes that can actually uh, cause this this issue if, if people thought, oh, yeah, they've, they've misread somewhere and thought, oh, yeah, someone told me that I need to be running on my toes and they've gone out and, and run right on the tippy toes there. Um, that does put a, a huge load through the uh, through the Achilles and and uh, can make that quite cranky. So so we don't um, we don't tend to certainly don't tend to uh, get, encourage people doing that. Um, but you can get them landing with a flatter place. But if they're really landing up on those toes, you can get them starting to come down a little bit and uh, landing with a flatter that flatter foot placement um, to, to decrease that load on the tendon. Um, we can uh, increase the cadence as well. So we spoke about cadence, which is how many times you your feet are hitting, uh, hitting the ground in, in a minute. Um, so when we can increase that slightly, and that might be by, by 5%, depending on what, what someone's cadence begins with. Uh, and what that does is that, that actually reduces the amount of, of ankle, ankle dorsiflexion in, in mid-stand. So that's the um, uh, a bit technical there, but, but basically the tendon get, can, can get compressed in that uh, throughout that middle part of our running gait. So, so increasing our cadence can actually reduce that, uh, reduce that compression there. Um, one thing actually we forgot to mention last, time with the, with the cadence is the um, is, is how to do that now you can actually have um, there's a couple of things one you can get um, just a metronome there's plenty of free metronomes on the uh, on the iPhone and the iTunes store and, and Android um, Metro timer is the one that, that I use but there's there's so many of them all free and that sets it that sets a beat that you can then run to um, and uh, the other cool thing which I only found out about a few months ago is um, is the Spotify so the free music app um, it's actually got playlists for, for certain cadences, so you can put in there that I want to run at you know 170, and it will shuffle songs. It's right. all free. Mm. Um, shuffle songs for uh, for 170, so you get the you get the beat going there as well too. So you get to run along with uh, with uh, with that. Um, so that's the cadence, and then lastly, with the the other technique consideration for the Achilles is the um, is we want to reduce our overstriding as well. Um, so that's the the, the plantar fascia. Uh, that's the Achilles. The plantar fasciitis, is, or plantar fasciopathy, is, is which is now called, um, is is quite similar in terms of, of uh, how we modify that loading. So it's similar to the Achilles and, and why you can sometimes sort of group them similar together. But um, the, um, the the signs and symptoms you'll see with with plantar fasciopathy is that. Same again in the morning, that real stiffness there, but it's more more underneath the heel. So it's in the, underneath the heel going into the the arch of the foot. So where the Achilles is on the back of the heel, this one can be more underneath when your when your foot touches the ground. So and these patients can can be hobbling around a bit first thing in the in the morning. Um, with our running, same again, we want to keep it to to that four out of ten. So if people can run and, and it's not flaring above a four, keep running. Um, taping can work quite well for 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 this as a, a technique called low dye taping um, which can help to uh, to relieve it um, uh, when, when things are really angry and irritated. I don't tend to like putting people in orthotics when they're suffering from a real acute flare-up of, of plantar fasciopathy. I think that sometimes that, that can actually um, upset things. So um, when things are settled down and that's when uh, when a, a, a podiatric assessment with a podiatrist can, um, can be 
uh, worthwhile and see if it's something that may be contributing. But but I certainly don't uh, don't like making a change when things are uh, when things are, are really uh, really angry and flared up. Um, strengthening the foot muscles. So this is something that's that's sort of gaining uh, gaining more popularity. And and um, uh, last year a study by Chung um, found that those that those sufferers with uh, plantar fasciopathy had a decreased foot volume in in the muscles in the feet compared to uh, their their, um, uh, their match controls. Uh, and it's one of the exercises that I like for, for building that that foot strength is is the uh, the toe spread exercise. So that's basically just where you you know you're sitting on the on the uh, your feet on the ground there and just trying to spread your spread your toes apart. And uh, and this this actually activates a muscle called the abductor hallucis uh, brevis muscle. And and this is quite an important one for uh, the function of that that arch and support of the plantar fascia. Um, so I've got I've got a video we can include the the, uh, the notes to that and um, the instruction on how to do that exercise. But but really simple and a lot of people actually really struggle to do that. So um, they can barely separate the toes and they're almost freaked out by it as well too when I ask them to, uh, to do that, those sort of things. So um, so the toe spread's a good, great exercise. Um, the other one as well, which uh, Michael Rathliff um, looked at, was uh, a, a, a strengthening exercise similar actually to that, that calf raise that um, uh, we spoke about before with the, the Achilles. And, uh, and you can actually do the, the same thing. But what you can do is you can actually just have a bit of a rolled up towel underneath your big toe. So it just pops your big toe up a little bit more and that can increase the uh, the loading on the uh, on the plantar fascia. So same set of instructions as what we did. We want, we want to go heavy. We want to slowly raising up and, and slowly lowering down for the count of the count of three seconds. Um, and the other thing as well that um, that Rathlet looked at is they looked at a. Uh, a a particular stretching protocol where you have your foot up on your opposite knee and you're basically just pulling your big toe all the way up, uh, sort of up towards your head, if you like, um, all the way backwards and um, and feeling that stretch in that uh, in that plantar fascia and, and holding that for uh, for ten seconds and and repeating that ten times uh, and doing that so that three times a day. So Rathlef actually compared that stretching to the strengthening and they found they were fairly similar in their in terms of their improvement. The strengthening gave a little bit of an earlier improvement, but the the stretching caught up, so I still think that the, the stretching has got some added. Be- the, the strengthening has got some added benefits. Are that you're going to be increasing uh, capacity in the uh, in through the, the calf as well. So I always like to steer sort of people towards that, but they, they can also be doing the uh, the stretching at the uh, at the same time. Um, so we've got our. Our strengthening there, we've got our stretching, and then we've also got um, uh, with the uh, technique as well. So technique considerations, same again, we, we sort of want to avoid our overstriding and we also want to uh, decrease the, the uh, vertical loading rate. So that's um, that's in the, how how much impact we, we bring to the ground and how quickly that happens. So there's a couple of ways that we can change that is we can increase someone's cadence um, or we can give them actually just telling them to, to land lighter, so imagine that they tell people that they're they're running on uh, on hot coals. Okay, so that's that sort of our, our Achilles and and, and plantar fascia. Very comprehensive. Now, if we just move up one more joint here and go to the knee and talk about patellofemoral pain or what's commonly known as runner's knee, what's your take home on those? Yes, that's right. It is runner's knee, and that's uh, that's because it is it is very common. So it's it's actually accounts for well up to up to almost up to fifty percent of of, uh, of running injuries um, is uh, is the patellofemoral pain, and uh, unfortunately females get the raw end of the deal there. It is it is more common in in females. I think it's about sixty five percent sufferers are, are, are female. Um, we don't actually know what what is being irritated in this. There's been a lot of studies that have, that have looked at it. Um, we used to think it was the underside of the of the kneecap there, but 
really not too too sure there. Um, your typical um, symptoms that, that people will get from that is it's it's pain around the the front of the kneecap, um, and patients will pretty much point to to the kneecap itself or a little bit underneath it or either side of it. Can sometimes refer into the into the back of the knee, um, but um, this is this is pain that obviously is there during uh, during running. Often worse on on hills. Um, they struggle sort of going up and down. Usually down is worse. Um, they'll also then complain of it of it hurting when they're uh, they're going up and down stairs, um, and uh, and even sometimes sitting still. So it's it's also given the name of, of movie goer's knee because this is one of those uh, those issues where people are sitting down for a long period of time and then they actually have to you know have to get up and move around because of the uh, the soreness. In their, in their knee. Um, so very common issue that, that we see. Um, firstly, in terms of management for it, so education is, is really key. So we really need to educate patients about that that correct load management, you know, and that getting that balance right between your your training and your recovery, um, you know, making them understand the same thing applies actually with this this injury and, and really most injuries is that that four out of ten pain mark. So we, we you know you, it's okay to run, but so long as you're not it's not going above that that four, then uh, then you're, you're okay. You've got the green light to uh, to continue. Um, it's important. To, to sort of assess the, the whole chain so we call the the kinetic chain going from looking from up and down so we look at what's what's happening at the feet because there can be some contributors there that that, uh, that can be making the knee cranky and we also look above it through the uh, through the hip and the uh, and the low back as well and, and look for contributors there that may be uh, maybe causing that so that knee to be sore um, we certainly want to be strengthening so we want to be looking at, uh, at mainly through the uh, the quads so general strengthening of the quads there and the the uh, the glutes out uh, our hip muscles. Um, we used to think years ago that you could uh, you could exercise a, a, a little muscle called the uh, VMO or the vastus medialis obliquus on the inside of our knee, and uh, that used to be a, a, a pretty uh, staple uh, exercise given for, for these sort of patients. But we now know that, that just general strengthening through the uh, the quad muscle is, uh, is is equally as effective. So we don't tend to bother that, and that always used to it was a, it was a, it was quite hard, quite a challenge for the patients to try and feel that little muscle control acting on the inside of the knee there so I was I was sort of quite relieved really when <laughs> when uh, you know we were told no you can you can throw away that exercise so uh, so don't uh, don't bother with that one that one anymore um <laughs> And a running running technique. This is a, this is actually a really big one that you can you can create some some um, uh, often some pretty quick changes with, uh, with with modifying a technique. And, and there's been a lot of lot of uh, in fact looking at, at modifying gait and in, in for uh, for a specific problem. There's been the most uh, research on um, patellofemoral pain, obviously because it's one of the most prevalent injuries. But um, uh, there's been some great work done by Irene Davis and uh, Brian Hardeshite and and uh, Noren as well um, that have looked at. Um, uh, you know they've got patients with this uh, this condition. They've altered their running technique and saw some very positive changes in terms of their uh, in terms of their pain and their ability to uh, to run. So some of the technique faults that we see with with uh, these uh, these runners knee patients is our vertical oscillation, up and down movement. Um, we want to uh, we want to eliminate that. Uh, then. We- we want to reduce our overstride, so we want to make sure that um, that the people aren't landing too far out in front of them. So we know that um, that uh, a 15 to 20 percent decrease in uh, in the knee load with with the, with the shorter stride. So that was some research done by Wilson. So shorten the stride right up. Um, we want to reduce the, the hip adduction and internal rotation. So in these patients, sometimes we see the knees coming in, um, and we we lose what's called a, a knee window there. If you're looking from someone behind, that almost the knees are knocking together. So we want to we want 
want to reduce that. Uh, and we want to encourage a little bit more of a landing towards the, the front part of the foot. So we don't want to get someone up on their toes, but we want to get them away from the heel. Uh, we know that, um, that that by doing that, we get about a 10 to 13% decrease in, in load uh, of the knee. Um, but the flip side to that is it also does load up the foot and the calf more. Uh, and that was a study by, by Wilson. Um, and we can increase our cadence too. So uh, we know that increasing the cadence by 5% uh, decreases the knee loads by, by 20%. That was uh, some work by Brian Heidershot there. So there's a, there's a number of, of different uh, avenues we've got and, and different ways to attack that through, uh, through through running techniques. So they're sort of some of the faults that we'll, we'll look for there. Um, one, of the, one of the things you, you'll often hear um, yeah, people knock running on is that uh, running's bad for your knees. You know, you'll, you'll, get, a, you'll get arthritis and, and, uh, um, and, you know, sadly I've had patients that were told that, you know, years ago by different health practitioners and, and gave up running for that for that, uh, that reason. So, you know, and they were... Um, sort of happy to hear, but almost sad in a way that you know that, you know you can go on and and, uh, and run. Um, you know, sad for those those years lost. But um, but no, the the, the research again and again um, of recent years is is supporting the fact that running does not give you arthritis. And in fact, there was a, a study um, just uh, recently this year um, by Lowe in the uh, in the Journal of uh, Arthritis Care and Research, um, and they found that uh, that those that the, the runners actually had better knees than their uh, than their, their matched uh, match controls. The, the non-runners, so running good for the knees. Keep it up. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, look before we go into the last stage of the podcast, can you give us just a few hot spots on the ITB? Because I'm sure, yeah, listeners have interested that. Another, yeah, another, another common one. It's um, and that one can be can be pretty debilitating. I mean, this is this is an injury actually. I've been, I've, I personally have suffered years and years ago. This was uh, this is one one of the things that uh, that was one of the catalysts for me to uh, to start to invest in, in learning more about running. Um, and it's uh, it, it really hurts. It's it's basically um, you know, these these patients that suffer from ITB will describe a pain on the outside of outside of the thigh, so down towards the knee, uh, and it can sort of refer down a little bit into the uh, into the outside of the uh, the, the calf there. Um, it, it often will, the pain will often kick in at, at a certain stage during the run. So it might be you know every set at that seven k mark that's where the pain the pain kicks in, and then often they can't uh, they can't run through it. So um, it's, a, it's a pretty nasty pretty nasty pain. So um, once again, going to our, our management there, you know we want to find out. What the uh, what they can do, um, and uh, so if, if they say that the pain kicks in at seven, well, you know what we we stick them at six and six and a half while we while we work on things. So we keep them keep them going. Um, you know that four out of ten mark again. We want to keep them below that. So that four out of ten without a, without a flare up there. Um, we want to avoid one of the things that that sort of well is still. Are still pretty popular is people hammering through and, and working through with a foam roller on the outside of their thigh. They're working through that uh, what's called that um, that the ITB, and um, uh, that that's it's been shown actually that that um, is is not the greatest thing to do for it. And uh, you, you're better off focusing your efforts um, closer up around through the hip. So I'll tend to get to recommend people instead of foam rolling that outside of the thigh area and really going hammer and toll on that because it not only does it hurt but um, it, it's not as effective. Uh, instead, what what I'll get them to do is actually with a, with a massage ball up on the outside of the hip there. So there's that uh, the the tensor fascial lasse is the is the muscle component of it just on the outside of your, uh, your hip bone there, and uh, and working on on that there instead. Um, same with our with our knee issues and really with any injury, we want to assess that that whole kinetic chain. So we want to look at what the 
foot's doing, what's that, what the hip's doing there. And, and our main focus of, of strengthening with uh, with the ITB is is really strengthening around through that uh, through the, the, the hip and, and core area there. So often that's um, there's, there's you know, weaknesses there that's then putting more stress on that uh, on that uh, that ITB and TFL. Um, same again with that with our running technique changes. So we, we can see some some uh, uh, pretty quick changes with uh, with altering uh, running gait if we're seeing some some issues there. So what we want to do is we want to reduce the the uh, the hip uh, what's the hip adduction. So basically the, the knees going in towards so that that knock knee that I was I was talking about. Well, that tends to put a lot of irritation and compression on that um, on that, uh, that that ITB. Um, we want to widen the step width. So there was um, a couple of studies by uh, one by Server and one by uh, Meerden, and they showed that by increasing the step width, decrease the strain on that uh, that ITB, um, and um, and then we can also increase the cadence too, which then in turn has an effect on increasing that step width. And that was uh, a study by um, Bowie and, and Heidescheid. So a um, couple of things that we can also look for with our, our running technique with the uh, the ITV. Fantastic, Luke. Well, that's that's very comprehensive, mate. I mean, you've, you've gone from the technique to the rehab and everything else in between, so you can now take a bit of a breather for a second and let's yeah. just uh, finish up the podcast and thank you so much for all the knowledge you've shared with everyone. It's been fantastic and amazing, the depth of knowledge you've shared as well, not only just from your own anecdotal, empirical experiences, but also quoting literature and support from uh, the research database as well and putting it both together. So it's been very informative. Now let's turn our attention to yourself. And just we like to ask our talent on Backchat an inspirational moment in their lives that have uh, helped create where they're at at this moment of time. So can you share with our listeners on Backchat that sort of moment? Um, yeah, sure thing. Look, I've, I've been very lucky enough to have um, um, to have. You know, a lot of people that have, have uh, you know, given me a lot of their time and, and uh, provide a lot of mentoring with, with me throughout my career and, and shaped me into what I'm today. So there's an extensive list of people that would uh, would take a long time to, to go through. But look, probably one of the the uh, career highlights for me thus far was actually just just recently. So uh, you know, like we said earlier, I've, I've been in private practice for, for, for 12 years now, and um, and just only this year I uh, was lucky enough to uh, to be selected as part of the um, the sports chiropractic contingent to work at the World Games over in Poland. So these are a big uh, multi-sport events that, that happen every four years for a lot of the sports that, that aren't in the Olympics. And um, and this year it was over in, in Poland. And um, uh, I was, yeah, lucky enough to go over the contingent there. And that was just just, just fantastic to, to be involved there, The you know, treating the, the athletes who were very appreciative of our services and, and uh, just working working with a, with a fantastic team there and a lot of lot of great um, great sports chiropractors and, and also uh, other medical practitioners too you know it was a real real integrative environment where we were all you know the the, the common purpose of, of helping the athletes so that, that's really what um you know what i try and and, and emulate back here is is, is creating that so that team environment with the um with the the purpose of of um of helping the, the patient and the and the athletes so yeah that was actually probably just recently the uh, one of my career highlights thus far and i look forward to uh, to eclipsing that in, in the years to come it's uh, big uh, opportunities there. Look, you had to, to eclipse that because that was pretty mighty. Seeing all your <laughs> posts on uh, Facebook and the you know, some of the connections you made there, and it was it was a, it was pretty amazing to watch actually. Yeah, look, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was uh, you know it was a full on full on uh, ten days that we were there for. It was you know we were doing ten or twelve hour days there, so we weren't there for a holiday. Yeah. But, um, we were there to work and, and and work we did, but it was uh, it was it was it was worthwhile.
Excellent. Now, Luke, could you finish up with some uh, take-home messages on this podcast for us, please, mate? Sure thing, mate. So, um, so the the first thing which we've reiterated over and over again is that that unless it's completely necessary, we want we want to avoid complete rest. Um, so, if you if you're able to run, run. If you're not able to, then then uh, cross train. So, remembering that that four out of ten pain that we want to try and keep uh, keep below. So, try and uh, try and keep moving as much as you can. Um, second part, the second takeaway we've got is that the strength training. So, is is, is an area that's uh, that's very often neglected with runners so strength training and cross training can can help you with both injury prevention and uh, and also performance enhancement uh, and the third thing is is if you get injured and, and you you know you're lost get guidance from a therapist that that, uh, that that knows what they're doing and and uh, some of those things that we discussed earlier on but someone that's used to treating runners and and uh, and someone will actually look at uh, look and watch you run Excellent. And thank you so much again, Luke. Thank you for all your your inputs, efforts, and uh, the clearness of what you described during the, these two podcasts. It's been terrific. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Paul. Thank you. Excellent. Now, to find out more about Luke, you can be contacted through either social media on Instagram or Twitter at at Luke at Sports Cairo Luke or through his clinic website, kairosolutions.com.au. For more, for more information on enhanced running, please check the website, enhancerunning.com.au. Thank you for listening to Backchat. To stay abreast with updates with Backchat, please go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Backchat podcast. All relevant website links of today's podcast will be on our Backchat podcast Facebook page. If you like this show, please leave a five-star rating on iTunes. We'll leave you one thought. Be the best of what you do, and you will grow and inspire others around you. We look forward to catching up with you on our next Backchat podcast. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.